Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than hearing Gladiators Ready! Good old John Anderson. 25 years since Gladiators. Did you see him on this morning the other day? God, where's the time gone? I bloody love Gladiators. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us and hitting that download button as we go on another journey through what is the bonkers world of 1990s football. Today is probably our nichest episode that we've ever done, if nichest is the word, but I'll get to that in a second as we celebrate a certain anniversary from the 1990s. Last time out, we finished our countdown, our season-by-season look back at every season in the 90s, although a couple of people have put on Twitter that they like us to do 90-90,000, which I wasn't going to do because I was going to stop at 98-99 because we keep it 90s on here. But if you want us to do 90-90,000, happy to do it, happy to put a foot into that next decade. So I'll put the question out on Twitter and maybe we'll completely round off that countdown. Uh, I mentioned last episode, obviously we went through 1999 with uh, the treble season and Matthew Chris talking about Man United, uh, Chris Slegg uh, talking about Tottenham as well. Oh, much quick mention with him as well. His book, uh, to the team that dared to do, which is about Tottenham's 1994-95 season. You can still win a copy. The Twitter is still pinned to our Twitter feed at the top. Just retweet it, follow us. Um, I'm going to pick the winner and announce it on next episode uh, when we do a special theme, an 11 that's coming your way. Uh, I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. But yes, yeah, so if you are a Tottenham fan, Christmas is coming, obviously, so it'd be a good thing if you uh, want to give that for a gift as well. So go on Twitter, at AK90s. Follow us and retweet the tweet that's pinned uh, with Chris's book and you could be in with that. I must mention as well 9899 because um, I'm not going to hear the end of it if I don't. Something I should have mentioned in the intro from not just friend of the show, my brother-in-law as well, Rob Gallagher, who's been on a few times with us. When I did the show originally, he made a point to say that I must mention this. I didn't, completely forgot, didn't do it on purpose, honestly. Uh, but 9899 was the... Memory for him because Millwall get into Wembley for the first time ever. They got there in 1945 in the wartime cup final, but the team was made up of ringers because uh, all the other people were, all the real players were off, you know, doing the uh, the duty in uh, in the World War Two. Um, so yeah, 1999 was the first time Millwall reached Wembley. So I had to mention that for Rob. So look, I've done it now, mate. It's there for you. It's on the show. Um, I don't think we missed anything else in 98-99, although it was very Man United heavy, uh, obviously, from what happened that season last time out. But looking to today, yes, as I said, quite niche today. We're celebrating an anniversary. Uh, last weekend, the 14th of, of October, it was. It was 20 years since Sky One first aired Dream Team. Now, this episode is going to be about Dream Team. It's the first one we've done kind of dedicated to something that I'm pretty aware not everybody who listens to this show and everybody who follows us on social media probably watched i was a big fan so i admit there's a little bit of kind of self-love when it comes to this self-indulgence with a little bit of um dream team because i absolutely loved it when it came out um so i just thought we'd look back and and have and remember some of the ridiculous storylines uh from the show in its first few seasons obviously it went on till 2007 uh, which one of our guests didn't realise <laughs> until he was researching a bit more on it. But yeah, I mean, the early years were the best, weren't they, of Dream Team and everything Harchester United. Um, so we're going to talk uh, a bit about that, about the stars, about the people that made an appearance. Uh, we'll do the football CVs and the players that time forgot. So if anyone's listening who's a bit like, oh, well, Dream Team wasn't my bag, don't don't switch us off. Keep going because it's, it's a good show where we talk about Dream Team and where there's still some 90s football in there for you as well. But reminiscing Dream Team with us today is a uh, friend of the show and, well, I say friend of the show. He's more a semi-regular, more of a co-host most of the time as well. He's back for the next episode as well. So Joe Young joins us. He loves a bit of TV, so I thought he'd be perfect. And we've also got Simon Needle back as well. So these three, these two were on together last time. So they're making a nice little trio at the moment. We were going to have the, well, somebody who's probably the oracle when it comes to Dream Team. Uh, a man named Andrew Cook, who runs Dream Team Die Hard, both on Twitter and the website. We did really, really try, which is why this episode is slightly later than I wanted it to be, to get uh, Andrew on the show. Unfortunately, these technical difficulties... Uh, the first time and the second time we tried to record the show just didn't really work out couldn't quite get it but if you are a fan of dream team which i'm assuming you are because you're still listening to the show uh check out him at diehard dream team on both twitter and his website he is
is the man that knows everything. I've got his notes in front of me just in case that I uh, I miss anything out. So he he's got three pages of notes for the show. Uh, when we first got in contact, he even greeted me wearing a Harchester United shirt and scarf. So anything Dream Team, this man bleeds purple. Um, so do check him out. Uh, hopefully we can give him more shout outs during the show. He's not the only one though who loved a bit of Dream Team. Uh, I put the tweet out uh, a couple of sort of week and a half ago. I think it was asking for you and your memories of uh, Dream Team, and a few of you got in touch. Uh, Pete Weymouth at Pete TBR says he owns a signed Luke Davenport shirt. I mean, Luke's Davenport's a little bit later in the show. I think he's more mid two thousands, um, but I always like seeing uh, the the Harchester United purple shirts on there because I can see it now. It's got the the newer badge as well. Uh, Dan Barker, a friend of us, always little tweet says he says always seeing the kits. In the small ads at the back of Match and Shoot and always wanted one. I love those ads. They really bring, you know, before we had Twitter and, you know, even the internet, that was where you found new kits. And, yeah, I remember seeing the Harchester United ones down there as well. Um, Phil Wainley at Phil Wainley says John Black. Yeah, of course we mentioned John Black. Poor John Black in the first series. We, uh, uh, you know, bad things happen to John Black, but you'll know what's coming with that. Sean at Moist Strawberry. Hmm. I think there's a QPR shirt in the, uh, in his avatar as well. So he said, where do I purchase the kit? Um, I'm sure you can find it online. But he said, I definitely had a man crush on Cole Fletcher. I mean, who didn't? Fletcher was the man, wasn't he? Uh, Bob Stills at Bob underscore Stills says, Dirt, Mrs. Block, of course. Oh, Linda Block. As you might know, he's now, uh, was it Carla in Coronation Street? And every time me and my wife watched Coronation Street, she's not in it at the moment, but when she was in it, uh, every time she entered a room, I went, Linda. Because obviously, she's Linda the Block. Uh, Viraj Oza, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, mate, um, says Luis Amor Rodriguez. Well, you wait to see what happens on this show about him. Mr. Chairman says Gopal Gootham as well at Gopes the Twit on Twitter. Uh, God, this, this, um, at Azzy36 says Jaws at the airport. That's right, he's gay. I'm gay. We're all gay on this team, gentlemen. Only gays in the championship. Again, Jaws was slightly later in Dream Team, but yeah, another moment. Uh, Nige at Nige KS says. The Didier penalty cliffhanger was something else. Personally, I love Scott Lucas. Can't forget him telling a tart in Mallorca to jog on. Yeah, I like Scott Lucas a lot. Again, slightly later um, in the show. But the Didier penalty cliffhanger, we do talk about Didier Baptiste, of course. Uh, Paul Doyle says, got to be the shooting after Wembley at the cup final. Yeah, that's brilliantly covered. Um, another Dream Team diehard. Diehard at DT. That's Andrew I was talking about. He tweeted us and said, and, and showed a picture. He's got a Dream Team shirt that I mentioned. Baptiste on the back, number 21. Uh, this, there's Nige again, he says, about the transfer story. We'll go into that on the show. Um, a couple more. Um, there's Matt Davis, who's a friend of the show, at Matt Davis FC. He said, someone rang a local radio station to convince the presenters that Forrest was signing a highly rated striker from PSG called Monday Bendele. Of course, he wasn't a real player. He was from Dream Team. Oh, yes, Carl Conway at Toffee Man 7 says... Got all the 10 seasons on DVD. Think I'm going to have to relive it all once again. Which I replied because I was like, DVDs? I was never aware that there were DVDs. And he says, not quite. It was never released. Recorded all the episodes. Edited out the adverts and made theme menus. Jobs are good and hashtag. Well, Kyle, if you've got those somewhere lying around, can you copy them or can we borrow them? I want to watch all 10 seasons of Dream Team all over again as well. That's brilliant. So thank you, everyone, for getting in touch with us uh, with your memories of Dream Team. Hopefully you'll enjoy this show where we go over a lot of those and many more. Talk about the characters. We've all watched the first episode as well, remembering what we thought of that. We've also, oh yeah, we've got an interview. Now, on this show previously, we've already spoke to Damon Britton, who plays Shaw Hocknell. Go back into the archive and listen to that. We've also spoke to the first ever manager that we saw of Harchester United in Big Ron Atkinson. That's in a special episode where it was just me talking to Ron. Uh, I think I did a bit, two, a few bits on 90s football, but then it was a big interview with Ron. We spoke about all of his career, but we did mention Harchester United as well. So you've already got two little snippets of Dream Team action there. But on this show, we've got a very special interview with Luis Amor Rodriguez. Yes, the man who, you know... the Big signing from Harchester in those early seasons. One of the icons of Harchester United in those first few seasons of Dream Teams in the 90s. He's speaking to me. He lives in Australia now. So I warn you, the interview was recorded at quite an ungodly hour. So I'm not at my best, but it's still some great stuff from Martin Cruz, his real name is. So check that out on the show. Uh, so we'll get to that now, Dream Team. I just want to mention a tiny couple of things 
uh, before we get to the meat of the show. I'm recording this on the 19th of no 20th, sorry, of October, and I've just tweeted out that 27 years ago today. Roy Wegerly scored perhaps one of the goals of the 90s. I'm biased, but it won goal of the season. And if it, a goal that was scored by Lionel Messi or Ronaldo or even in that era, if it was scored by the you know R9, people would see it over and over again. But he scored a goal at Ellen Road uh, in a 3-2 win at QPR where Jan Stayscout made his debut, actually. I've just tweeted it out on my own feed and retweeted it from AK90s. Check out the goal. It's amazing. Good old Roy. And also many thanks to the many people, probably the biggest tweet we've ever done. I wish George Campos a happy birthday, uh, I think a couple of days ago, when it was over the weekend. Um, and with a little video of him showing his best bits. And I think it got liked nearly 1,400 times, uh, retweeted nearly 1,000 times. So thank you very much, everyone who got involved in that. So happy birthday again to George Campos. Oh, I loved him. Loved those kits, definitely. But that's talk about Dream Team. Yes. Oh, 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 me, Joe Young, Simon Needle, reliving Harchester United, that step into the Dragon's Lair. Welcome back to Alive and Kickin'. My name is Ash Rose, and we're here, probably in our nichest episode we've done so far, So, but stay along for the ride, it's going to be a fun one. Um, we're talking Dream Team, so this is a programme from the 1990s, late 1990s, set around a football team in the Midlands called Harchester United. For those of you who know it, you'll love it, you'll love it. For those who don't, like I say, stick around, you'll learn something. It was a fun time to be involved in Sky One. We were going to have probably the oracle, the expert of Dream Team on the line um, from Dream Team diehard, uh, Andrew Cook. Unfortunately, technical problems meant we just couldn't get connected. I do have his notes in front of me, so hopefully we can chip in in and out of that if we need to. But instead, I've got two hombres, two amigos with me to, to chat along about Harsh United. And I think collectively, we've got a good knowledge and a good sort of nostalgic feel about the show. So let me introduce, firstly, he's uh, he doesn't need an introduction, part of the furniture, the grandfather clock of a life. Oh, here we go. My friend <laughs> and yours, he's a TV, social, media, mogul, whatever you want to call him. But he's a Borough fan and I love him. Joe Young, how you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? I'm good, yes. Not got through WWE TLC yet, but that's for another podcast. But yes, well, it's been it's been quite the messy show that, so we'll, we'll leave you to talk yeah, about that elsewhere. Exactly, I will talk about that elsewhere. But yes, that's on my agenda for today as well. Um, and joining him also from the sort of TV media world, someone who likes to rub shoulders as well. Last time we learned him and Trevor Sinclair were pals, and now I learned that he knows Georgina Jacobs from Dream Team. My pal Simon Needle, you and your star friends, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm not too bad, thanks. Yeah, I. Uh... Yeah, uh, brush shoulders with one or two people, but uh, but the less said about that, the better. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did get back to you when you mentioned kindly our podcast that we're doing, but she didn't bloody get back to me and say any memories from Dream Team that she wanted to mention. So thanks, Georgina Jacobs. But you know. Sorry about that, mate. Yeah, no, not your fault, mate. But, you know, the busy people in Harchester, obviously, in that made-up town. Uh, but we will talk <laughs> about her in just a minute. Let's talk to 90s proper football firstly then, Simon. This is your second time on the show. Uh, so we like to ask games. We switch your CV to games. So you're a Man United fan. Loads to choose from here. Your favourite Man United game of the 90s? Uh, probably no shock is that it's got to be the Champions League final, yeah. really. Um, it's got to be. There's, there's nothing else that matches that. It's That's probably, though, as cliche as me saying about that as... Uh, as Joel talking about Janino and Middlesbrough <laughs> from the mid nineties, so we're two minutes in. Janino's been mentioned, <laughs> but the, I think the Three thing minutes. is that it's um, no. Apart from that, I would say uh, probably England, Scotland. Uh, if we if we're not talking uh, sort of uh, anything to do with United, I would say England, Scotland from Euro '96. It's just yeah. a rivalry that's for the ages and. Uh, a goal that will go down probably uh, in the back of everybody's minds forever from Gaza. So, yeah, great game that gets chosen. Have a lot we that ever one. mentioned Yuri Geller? Um, I'm sure it was on the Euro '96 pods that we did. It must have been because it's one of my favourite stories. But yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it was mentioned at least in passing. I can still see him in his helicopter <laughs> making the ball move. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know one thing as well? I only found this out the other day. I'm, I'm probably being the minority, but I only found this out, I say the other day, it's probably a couple of months ago now, but um, Yuri Geller's uh, signature is the only signature that's on the World Cup 1966 final ball. Uh, because when he was doing that stuff for the Daily Mirror during uh, Euro 96, he signed the ball. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's all Piers Morgan's fault, basically. So. Yuri Geller's. It's the nineties yeah. weird phenomenon, Yuri Geller, isn't he? Like he didn't really appear after that, after his bending spoons stuff and all that nonsense. He's such a weird. Didn't he? He's support... a celebrity and then vanished. Didn't How he? did he do that? Yeah. Wasn't he friends with Michael Jackson and something to do with Fulham as well? Did he go to Fulham or support Fulham? I don't even I remember. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He was friends with Mohammed Al Fayed. Yeah, oh, that maybe that's what it is. I didn't think I was going to be talking about Yuri Geller today, but still. You did say it was niche. Yes. You did say it was niche today, sir. Did Michael Jackson visit Craven Cottage? Was that in the 90s or was that in the 2000s? I'd I'd say it was in the 90s. In my head, it's like late 90s. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, well, keeping it in the 90s. The statue is no more. No, that was later. Yeah, that was much, much later. Bizarre. Um, Joe, I asked you something because Matthew Christie who's been on with us a, a few times and he, we've run our CV questions. I asked him randomly one day and so I, I've put this one to you. If you could bring anything back from 90s football into today's society, 2017 into the, in football world, he chose terracing, which was no surprise. Is there something you'd bring back? What do you think I'm going to say to this question? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued. What do you think I'm going to say to this? If I can bring something back from the 1990s, what am I going to bring back? I'm going to bring back Janino in a middle <laughs> shirt. Thank you very much. If there's any one thing that I want in my life, it's Janino back in that side. And we might not be getting beat 1-0. We certainly wouldn't be conceding penalties in the 85th minute of a game against Cardiff City at home. I'll tell you that for nothing. Janino in a Middlesbrough shirt. That's what I would bring back. I'm I'm happy with that. No one will be surprised by that. I am very happy. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the the free kick he scored against England and all that kind of thing. Yeah, Janino in a Borough shirt. That's it. The rest of them, not bothered. You know, I don't need Christian Ziga. I don't need Ravinelli. I don't need Emerson. I'm just quite happy with uh, Janino. Thank you very much. That's all that And secondly, said. and actually, I'll tell you what's the other thing, which I, I talked about the other day just to my friend. But obviously now they've got, now in the Premier League, you're allowed a sleeve sponsor as well oh, as... I hate a, that. As well as a, as well as your normal chest sponsor, but what we had in the ninety six ninety seven season, I think, was we shifted. I've talked about this before when mm. we talked about kits. I think, but uh, we shifted our club badge to the arm, yeah, and it went on the right arm. And I always thought that. We, I think I don't ever remember another club doing it, but we the uh, area symbol moved to the uh, left hand side of the chest, and the badge went on the left arm. And I always thought that was quite a cool thing that nobody else did. I mean, United moved it to the middle of the ch- the middle of the chest mm. uh, for a couple of seasons, but no, we moved it onto the arm. So I quite like that. I yeah. like our club badge on on the arm. I'm quite. Da- go. I've got no problem with that. Sleeve sponsors hate them. Mm. Hate them. What a stupid. Really, why is that? I mean, because some of them are quite weird. Though. Like, haven't Liverpool got? Or sorry, Everton got Angry, Angry Birds, Birds or something. It's just a bit. I'm, I'm going to sound like a proper. Not back in the day. It's over commercialised. It's just I just don't like it. It's too much. It's like those in France. You get those shirts with like six different sponsors. I just don't know. Don't like it. I mean, the, in the championship, you always get some on the shorts and maybe a second sponsor in the back of the bottom of the on shirt. On the back, yeah. Um, which I've kind of accepted, the, but I don't like sleeves. The thing with the uh, Everton one, though, it does give you the opportunity to see Wayne Rooney running around the field with Angry Birds on his right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Something he has lots of experience of. Yes, in, indeed, indeed. We're, oh, we're going to talk Angry Birds in, in Dream Team. Zoom, that was a good segue. Um, oh, that was good. It is, a, yeah, so let's talk Harchester United. First aired October 14th, 1997, which is why we're doing this show. It's been 20 years since Dream Team first aired on Sky One. It was on Thursday and Tuesday nights. Uh, and it, it started, in, as I said, in October 1997. Um, it was a mini phenomenon in terms of, I think, if you were around that era and had Sky, it was must-watch for any football fan because it was just... It hadn't happened before, this kind of soap opera built around a, football, a fictitious football club called Harchester United, set in the Midlands, although one of the quirks, as we'll talk about through this show, is that they actually filmed a lot of it around Millwall of all stadiums. Um... We've both, or we've all watched the first episode, which time hasn't dated it that well. So let's, let's start there. Let's you know, talk for the first episode. I mean, the first series, it based itself around the youth team mainly. Um, so just first early thoughts, to start with you, Simon, of the, the first ever episode of Dream Team. I think the one thing now, when you go back and watch it straight away, the fashion is horrendous. <laughs> I think there's no, the, the, some, of the, some of the silky ties and the uh, some of the 
sort of baggy shirts. You just it hits you probably uh, straight away more than anything else. And and obviously, you know, there's quite a lot of young actors in there because, like you mentioned, it was around the youth team. So so uh, let's say that there was uh, some uh, maybe one or two dodgy uh, episodes where the uh, the acting wasn't up to up to par in the early days. But I think the thing is though is that, like you say, it's the uh, it's the history and the the sort of um, it's, it's setting up for what the series became, and it was it was promoted so heavily by Sky that, um, like you say, it was must must watch telly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Joe. I mean, it was really the, it changed the series after the first series because, as I said, it was about the youth team. So, I mean, but what were your early thoughts? Just looking back, I mean, you're a TV expert anyway. What were your thoughts well, on I that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, well, you're our TV expert anyway. Well. Sky wanted to do something else with all the Premier League footage that they had. I mean, that was the kind of basis of it all. I think it was Hewland International that made it. Um, and they wanted to, to do something else with that footage. And, and somebody came up with the bright idea of, well, we can use it to uh, to build the show around. Because as we, I think we've talked about it before, but I think the majority of the footage that they use is either Leicester or Everton yeah. with, a, with a tint on it to make the shirts purple rather than blue. Um, I think they play Chelsea, don't they, in that first game? They do, in the and cup, yeah. These these incredible... It, it's quite interesting in that they get beat in that first game, which you wouldn't normally see. I mean, essentially, it's Roy the Rovers come to life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, but whereas Roy Race won everything in the world, um, Harchester get beat at first. And I think it's about the struggle with relegation, isn't it, really, the, the first, the first season, series, yeah. Now. Yeah, and how things uh, aren't particularly going well there. But there's there's some in, impossible things that happen. There's the, there's the um, you know the the girl who's done got no previous radio experiences suddenly commentating <laughs> on this enormous cup game. You know these sort of slightly ridiculous things, and they got to a very bad nightclub. Yeah, very I mean, like. Was... Remind me of what was the one in East Enders E20? It reminds me of that E20. sort of nightclub. Yeah, it's a really terrible nightclub, and and that guy. Uh, what's the what, what's the guy called who has his debut? I've forgotten his Dean name. Dean Hocknell. Right, that's him. So he's meant to be Geordie. But I said straight away, he's not Geordie. He sounds more like me. And lo and behold, he's from Hartlepool. Oh, so, <laughs> so I wouldn't be, you know, did Jeff Stelling have a hand in that casting? Was something <laughs> underhand going on? Uh, but his brother has got a Geordie accent. So it's really, there's a peculiar bits of casting going on. Mm. Well, I think that was one of the things as well at the time that was talked about quite a lot was the uh, the, the the younger of the brothers was uh, related to was it Robson Green? Oh, there's a fire! I didn't ah. know that. Yeah, throwing that one out. I, me- I remember that one from early like early on. It was it was sort of the one thing that um, I forget the guy's name, but sure uh, not, no. he, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the one thing that he had to talk about uh, in all the interviews, and and I, I remember thinking, God, that's awful, man. It's uh, you know, he's he's there trying to promote a new series, and all anyone wanted to talk to him about was Soldier Soldier. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but but I remember the the two brothers. That was for me. That was the one thing that uh, sort of got me hooked. And uh, I used to watch it with my brother. So uh, between the two of us, we'd shut up for half an hour and watch uh, watch a bit of Dream Team. Let's get well, you... a few sort of storylines in the first episode. The main thread, obviously, Dean makes his debut. This youth teamer, his girlfriend, as you say, Joel, is the uh, local radio person who suddenly gets to cover. The, this uh, FA Cup game so there's that connection I think there's a conflict of interest there. yeah I, I think so think as well be... I don't think that'd be allowed <laughs> that certainly wouldn't fly at BBC <laughs> no definitely not that um, kind of thing so he makes his debut scores but obviously they lose go out to the cup uh, we see Carl Fletcher for the first time who's this brash kind of flash Harchester legend and he kind of makes himself known to Dean and it's him who replaces and Dean gets scores the goal as you say he goes to the nightclub and he meets this mysterious blonde who, you, who Simon we've already mentioned you know very well um, in the nightclub, they go back to why? Why she takes him back to the stadium is is a random place to, to go. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. The, they go into the trophy room. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And then there's, and then there's like the security man who's just like recording it and what it's really perverse. Yeah, that's what I've got on my notes is that no one seems to like mention the fact that the security guard. <laughs> you don't, all you do is see his creepy hand, and then you see the old VHS tape, and he obviously tapes it obviously for the storyline purposes. But like, dirty bastard, really? Come on. <laughs> And then there's this other kid who's come over from Northern Ireland. Connor, yeah. Connor. And he goes to this house where he's meant to be staying, his digs. And the girl just says, no, you're not coming in. 
So he ends up having to sleep rough outside the stadium. Ron Atkinson, who we haven't mentioned yet, who yeah, was we'll the manager of Harchester yeah. <laughs> at this time. Big Ron. I'd love to know how this happened. Oh, you can. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Cheap plug. Hold on. Did somebody interview him? They did. Go back in the archive, people, as they say these days. Listen to our episode with Ron Atkinson where he talks about Harchester United. Carry on, Joel. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, Ron Atkinson just ignores him. It's like, And then he has to sleep rough outside the stadium. It's very bizarre. Yeah, it, it's he gets turned down by Zoe, who's uh, Desi's dad, who looks after the youth team players because like it's all set around the youth team. Zoe, who I, I think I've googled at least four or five times because every time I look at her, I think you must have gone on and done something. She's got a really familiar face, but no, nothing. She never. That was it. That was a highlight of her acting career because, as we'll go through, a lot of these men sort of turned up in soaps and and whatnot going forward. But no, Zoe. I have an astonishing list here of oh, people what? that sort of did things in Dream Team and then went on to do. Some of them are quite quite big things. Okay, well, go on. That's what. Why have you got it in front of you? Go on. Okay. Um, well, Jamie Lomas, who uh, was Alex Dempsey, who is in Hollyoaks, I yes. think now. Yeah, it was EastEnders uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Naomi Ryan. Robert Kaczynski's quite a good one. He does Walking Dead. Oh, right. He's yeah. In, he, yeah, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was Casper Rose. Yeah, he was in it. Um, and then, obviously, like Alison King, who yeah, went on to be yeah, we'll go to the, wonderful, the wonderful Ale- Mrs. Block. You yeah. know, we, we all love a bit of Mrs. Block. We do, yeah. uh, But Ricky Whittle was in it, who's now a sort of yeah, later in Hollyoaks the, and everything. Yeah. But now he's doing the business in America. But then, one I'd completely forgotten about, Stephen Dennis. Yes, later. Paul Robinson. Yes. So, so we're trying Turned to... St- up in it, Sorry, Joel, but obviously Dream Team went on to 2007, so a lot. some of these are quite later on. But yeah, Steph Dennis, he was, yeah, mid-2000s, I think. Um, yeah, and Ramon Tickerham, who also turned up in another 90s staple. Uh, this Life, Tanita oh, Tickerham, that's life. a bit 80s, her yeah. brother. But he was 30 in This Life, and he was uh, Prashtatani, the, the owner of the club. In season three, yeah. In season three. So, yeah, I mean, the, the club as well. I mean, we'll get to some of these statistics I've got about who owned the club. But, yeah, Cara Titan was in it as well. Yeah, actually. she was Cara's, very young, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even before she did Teachers and all that business. But, yeah, Cara was in it. She's lovely. So, yeah, quite a quite a crazy a amount of people of a, who went on to other things. Yeah, it was a breeding ground. And Des as well, he's one of those actors. I can't remember his real name, actually, though. But Des in the show, who just appears in random British programmes. Again, he's got a list of sort of appearances in everything British you imagine go look go I haven't got his name in front of me but he played Des in um in Dream Team he's the dad of the one that digs and then in season two he went off to find his wife again um like I said we're, we're remembering a lot of this from uh from, we haven't got uh, Andrew with us who would have filled in some of the gaps but yeah he was he was someone else who uh was, was on a lot of tv you mentioned the people though we mentioned Ron there so Ron Atkinson bizarrely was the manager when Dream Team started of Harchester United. They rewrote history, football history, because he apparently had been Harchester United manager for six or seven years, which we all know in real life he was Aston Villa, then Coventry manager, which were rivals of Harchester in the Midlands. So he was somebody that appeared uh, in the first episode before being replaced by Ian Coates, who became the next manager. And Dean Sturridge was also somebody. This was a random one in the, in the first Dean season. Sturridge. Dean Sturridge appeared towards of the Derby. end. Of, yep, former Derby striker, uncle of uh, what is, uh, Daniel Sturridge. I forgot his name then. Daniel Sturridge, now of Liverpool. He appeared towards the end of Series 1 as himself, as their new signing. There you go. <laughs> I wow. did not know that. Yeah, very random. I, I must have blocked that from my mind as yeah, well. His acting skills were not on par with, you know, at the time, his football skills were pretty decent for Derby. Yeah, his acting skills were not good. Well, they're normally on a footballer's acting is normally on a par with sort of nativity plays, isn't it? Really, that sort of acting. <laughs> I always remember. I mean, this is eighties as well. But Brian Robson appeared in a in an episode of Jossie's Giants. Oh, Jossie's Giants, yeah. And couldn't have been worse. I just always wonder how they managed to pull these sorts of things out. Obviously, they wouldn't happen now. It's like you say with the problem, you know, when we talked about magazines before, and you know how you can't particularly get players to do anything Nothing. these days. But back in the day, they were just sort of one step above kind of game show hosts, really, in the in the general public's eye. Yeah, no, that, that's yeah. Dean Sturridge is less memorable. But there was somebody I don't know if you guys noticed it when you're watching the first episode. He pops up literally for a couple of seconds or so. He must be the Hearts United assistant manager. All right, to rewind it. John Hollins is in the first episode, <laughs> which I didn't even know until I watched it back. I was like, that's, that is John Hollins, you know, former QPR um, assistant manager, played for Chelsea as well Chelsea, in, in the yeah. 70s, I remember. 
Um, on the coaching staff, could be wrong. I think he may have been on the Chelsea coaching staff at some point, but he was, yeah, I know him best. He was part of the QPR coaching staff in the mid-90s as well. So, yeah, John Hollins makes a sort of appearance in that first episode. But I think, I mean, like like Simon said, the hairstyles, there's something so 90s about that episode. Frank Patcham, who's the youth team manager, there's that scene uh, where they're all in the uh, changing rooms and I think Sean was meant to have cleaned the showers and he referenced him as a spice boy. It's just, oh, isn't that, you know, can't get away. Well, that was the Liverpool, the Liverpool insult at the time, wasn't it? It was, yeah, the, the White States. Yeah, it was only a season, this, well, a year before that, wasn't it? This was 97, mm. that would have been the 96 Cup Finals we spoke about on here. And the other one... That just, is the, go on, sorry, sorry. That, I was just going to say, that is the one thing that I think uh, stands out about the series as well, is that in terms of, uh, to a certain point, obviously, uh, where the soap opera section kicks in, but the the football inside of things, some of the some of the things they did that sort of mirrored the Premier League at the time was, I, I remember obviously the the youth team, obviously like you've mentioned, uh, it sort of matches and mirrors what was going on with Liverpool and also with United. So there was there was things for me that I thought were uh, particularly interesting around that time that just sort of that matched what was going on in the Premier League. You had lots of young players coming through, getting a lot of money in. And, uh, yeah, maybe some of them did go back to a trophy room for no apparent reason and have some creepy security guy <laughs> videotape them. You never know. You never know. Well, that girl, we had actually should have said when we would describe what happened, she turned out to be the chairman's daughter, which is why she took him to the... She had the keys to the trophy room. Of course she did. Every chairman's daughter should. That's the way it goes. <laughs> and so she ends up with this tape of them having sex. And then, so that's kind of the thread of the first series where that all comes out. The, the dad, Michael Jacobs, who was the first chairman that we have, he has a heart attack and dies. Um, Georgina gets pregnant and then she kills herself in the second series uh, when Dean This is a back. happy show, isn't it's, it? I mean, the, I think I read a stat. I don't know if you got this on your stats, which we'll get to in a minute, Joel, but there's like over 280 deaths in the sort of 10 years. I've of... got... Um, let's have a look at this stat. I've got, in 10 years, 18 managers, <laughs> 12 different owners, um, five uh, reports of max match-fixing, 42 players died. That's 2.6 per season. All oh, right. Um, Don't sign for Harchester. That's a rule. Yeah. Um, I've got... Um, and Carl Fletcher scored 235 goals. Pretty impressive. So there you go. That's 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 my um, stats with them. But yeah, I mean, there was one time where... And I don't know whether this was early or, or later on, but ownership of the club was given away in a half-time raffle. Yeah, and it was and oh, an Everton fan won it. Three Everton fans yeah. <laughs> won the club. That's unfortunate, isn't it? I mean, you'd at least want it to be a, a home team. A Harchester United stroke Millwall fan <laughs> where mm. they filmed. Yeah, I remember that. In uh, He was a big old Scouse lad, yeah, and then he eventually took the club to his heart and he became quite a, a central character to it. Uh, we'll talk about the, the the owner that we all know about in the second series in just a second. I just wanted to get a couple of things from the notes that were sent over me by Andrew. Um, he said, actually, they rewrote history in the first episode because uh, it was meant to be Harshester's first season in the Premier League. But then later on, they talk about Harshester being in the 94-95 season. So they had to rewrite that at some point. So there's a little quirk of it as well that, that, that probably wasn't mentioned. So let's talk about characters before we look at the, sort of the other two series in the 90s. Um, Simon, did you have a favourite character? You mentioned your, you, you liked a bit of Sean Hocknell and the Hocknell Brothers. Is, was they your favourites or did you appreciate anybody else? Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're probably my favourites. But um, like you said, the, the whole living in digs thing and the, uh, the, the sort of uh, the relationship between the brothers, I always thought that was quite interesting. But, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't ignore uh, Carl Fletcher the, the fact that he looked like Frank Lampard, and yeah. uh, but 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 played twice better, twice as good as he could ever do, in my opinion, uh, was yeah that was something that was uh, that was interesting to me. But I, th- I think um, in terms of the other stuff, just to go on to stuff, I think you can't go wrong with when obviously the the Premier League was bringing in foreign stars that the the dream team matched that as well. But without going on and spoiling what I'm sure we're going to talk about in a minute, Joe. You- fan of Fletch or was there someone else that sort of well I like Fletch but obviously you know I think everybody was in love with Mrs Block <laughs> yeah. everyone was in we're, love with Mrs Block we're a bit all over the place in terms of what we're talking about but that's fine because it's so much to go on in these early series so yeah Linda Block came into it in the second season where Jerry Block who was Eddie in EastEnders if I remember he was rightly. yes he had the Queen Vic yeah, yes. he was murdered Michael Melia yeah, he was murdered in the middle of the square wasn't he by Nick Cotton if he I remember. was yeah. god that is 90s knowledge coming out from the back of my brain <laughs> So he took over the club. Um, that was his charming wife, Linda, who, you know, suspect of why she was with him, but I'm sure he had his charms. 
But she obviously at the time was uh, a very attractive lady. She is now. She's got on to be Carla King, is it? Carla Connor. Yes, Carla Connor Carla in Connor. Coronation Street. Alison King is her real name. Alison so, yeah. King, there you go. But no, big character in it, for, for, especially in that second series, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. And obviously, um, Luis Amore Rodriguez. <laughs> Who, as we'll learn in a minute with our interview, but I won't, you know, no spoilers alert because I think people are already aware of it, is not Spanish. Or Argentinian, mm. or anywhere near. No. I'm shocked. I'm utterly shocked. See, I already knew this, because this is a sad story from my childhood. I went to Match of the Day Live, when Match of the Day used to do this weird extravaganza on at, like, the NEC. Like, yeah, Birmingham. Yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of lots of football stalls and kind of expos and things like that. Like the toy fair that they do, but it's like a football version um, and I remember I bought an exclusive Michael Owen Corinthian figure that's actually still sitting on my uh, shelf there. Still in the packets. Probably not worth anything, but because it was... No exclusive. day is wasted with you, Rashid. No <laughs> exactly. day is wasted. Yeah, exactly. Perfect day. I've got a Michael Owen figure. What else could I want? But they had like a, a five-a-side competition going on all day through... I think there was some sort of proper Z celebrities there, some ex-pros. But one of the teams, and most excited I got all day, was a Dream Team team. That at the time were on Sky One, like we're talking about, and I think they had uh, Eddie Marliano, who was on the second series, Michael Dillon, who was on the second series, possibly Fletch and one of the Hopnalls. But Luis Moriguez was obviously the star attraction, and I actually saw him walking to the dressing room or changing room, wherever the uh, sort of centre was, and I heard him chatting to one of the fans, and he was, and I just hadn't even fathomed that he wouldn't be of some sort of Latin descent. And he just he just went, yeah, yeah, you're all right, yeah, yeah. All right, Gazer, yeah, yeah, and signed his autograph. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Well, just, all, all it is, though, Ash, all it is, is it's just a, a pointer to his to his talent. Yeah, true. You know, the, the man had such talent oozing from him that he was able to have that sort of deception of you that, you know, he just turned out to be a regular british guy well he now resides in australian and has got a dodgy australian accent as well so that's talk to the man himself um i spoke to him earlier in the week this isn't the best interview ever done because he's living in australia this was at some ungodly hour that we had to do this so apologies if it isn't the best interview you've ever heard but here's me talking earlier this week to luis amor rodriguez better known as martin cruz joining me on the line now a legend of harchester united Someone who will go down in history as one of the best ever players, Mr. Luis Amor Rodriguez, and the man who played him, Martin Cruz. Welcome to Alone Kicking. Great to be on here. How are you? I'm very well. We can tell that over the years your accent has changed. <laughs> You're now living in Australia. Yeah. Got a bit of a twang, haven't you? Yeah, well, I always did have, really. Although I was, uh, I, I lived in England to the age of 10, but yeah, it didn't take me long to lose the... Uh, the English accent and adopt the Aussie twang. Well, we'll talk about the uh, the Spanish accent in just a minute, but first tell us about uh, how you got involved in the show back in the 1997. Uh, so basically it was uh, an audition um, that uh, my agent set up. I was living in London at the time, obviously. And uh, originally, I think the first audition script was actually I was reading for Fletch even though Fletch had already been had already done one series because um, Louis didn't come into a second series and um, and then they uh, I got a call back and uh, the player was an it was Eastern European so I sort of did my best cod Russian <laughs> accent and uh, Obviously, that impressed them because so that got me the job. But then uh, they were undecided as to the, the nationality uh, of the player in the end. And for a long time, they were saying it has to be Croatian. And so I was making all these contacts with Croatian people because I didn't know a Croatian accent from a hole in the ground. And then um, just before I was literally, it was about. I think two weeks before I was due to start filming, um, Argentina put England out of the World Cup because uh, this was, uh, what was it, 1998? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so then I suddenly got a desperate... I got a phone call from my agent in the morning in this massive, long sort of character breakdown that uh, Jane Hewland, the producer and creator, had written overnight. Um sort of outlining this Argentinian called Luis, Luis Amor Rodriguez. So I immediately I hung up the phone and rang the Argentinian embassy and said, 
who have you got who can teach me <laughs> teach me an Argentinian accent? And uh, sort of took it from there. Is accent something that you were uh, something you did before? Because obviously they could have hired someone who was actually of from that country itself, but they went with you. So is accent something that you you just knew how to do or just was good at? Um, yes, certain accents um, uh, I'm better at than others. Um, but as I say, they in the audition they they had me doing this sort of Russian, so they could they could tell that I could make an, a, a foreign accent sound natural. Um, and, yeah, I guess they probably had a little bit of a leap, leap of faith as well. Um, but they, they the, my method uh, back then was to... Um, I, I got this Argentinian lady to come, and first of all, she had to actually explain the mistakes that an Argentinian would make speaking the language, um, because um, the the writers didn't actually know themselves, so they sort of they wrote this very sort of you Tarzan me Jane kind of dialogue, uh, which I sort of translated back into English, and then said, okay, now how would you say that, and what grammatical errors would you make? And then I basically recorded her onto a, a dictaphone back then, um, speaking my lines, and then learnt them phonetically for a long time mm -hmm. um, until I sort of really got the accent under my belt and then I, I, you know, I sort of knew how to make the mistakes myself. I, I remember seeing you at a Match of the Day live event and it was the first time I knew that you weren't a Spanish or Argentinian, so your accent was very convincing. Um, how, how, I mean, how fun right. was it uh, as being part of that storyline with Linda Blocks? It was the central storyline of that series and how much was there, how much fun and chemistry was there between you and uh, Alison? Oh, well, we, I mean, the the whole thing was like, I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, really. It was just the most fantastic, it was like a kind of a holiday camp because we, um, we filmed out in Bushy, you know, um, we uh, at, the, at the International College out there, which was kind of like a dead poet society sort mm. of university, a bit run down. And, you know, so there was this group of young people who sort of came together and we just, you know, a lot of the scenes were filmed around that area. So um, it was kind of like a schoolboy's dream, you know. And, um, and of course, um, the whole, the, one of the initial um, developments in the, the Lewis and Linda storyline was when we... Uh, Fletch and Luis had this bet about who can get her yeah, into bed first, and then Luis cheats by going to her and telling her, uh, and then so she invites Fletch around, and then Luis walks out in his underpants, and um, uh, of course, uh, you know there wasn't a dry eye on on set, and uh, the the difficulty was actually keeping it together, you know, because. Um, I mean, um, Terry Kyler, who, who played Fletch, is, uh, you probably interviewed him, he's quite a character, you know, very funny guy, and uh, had plenty of laughs. Yeah, and, how, and what was it like with Alison? Obviously, she's gone on to do things in this country in Coronation Street. I, I still shout Linda at her when she's on the telly. Um, was she fun to work with? She, oh, she, was, she was amazing. Um, you probably don't know that we... We dated for okay. nearly three years um, during that time. So, yeah, obviously I was very impressed <laughs> with her. Um, we were actually living together through the, the, the course of the third series. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was sort of, it was, you know, life imitating art. But, um, yeah, we, I mean, we had an absolute ball together. It was just such a such a fantastic period of my life and uh, we're still in touch you know we're still great friends even though you know I'm all the way down here um, we sort of you know get on the phone at birthdays and all of that and um, yeah she's wonderful mm. I mean how big a fan of football fan were you and how how good were you did that play into the show did, did you need a bit of a bit about you to, to play that role uh, I did well actually <laughs> I 
I used to play um, as a kid, uh, obviously growing up in England um, to the age of 10, and then when I moved to Australia, I, I played soccer, you know, as it is over here. Um, but I, I actually played right back. Um, I, was a, I was much better as a defender than a, than a striker, so my sort of trick ball skills uh, weren't quite up to scratch so there was there was a bit of uh, fancy editing that went on to begin with of course we were extremely lucky that we were we had uh, professional players in the cast and you know guesting on the show each week so um i did get um significantly better as the show went on um but yeah the right at the beginning when you know i I appear and I'm supposed to be this kind of Maradona-like um, player with all of these incredible skills and and uh, you know I, was, I had trouble keeping the, keeping the keeping the ball in a straight line. But um, yeah, I did get better. <laughs> and and what are you up to now? You see, you live in Oz, and are you, are you out? What are you doing out there? And would you love to see some sort of reunion one day, possibly of the show? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm at the moment. I'm, uh, I'm in uh, living in Sydney, and uh, I'm actually in the car as we speak. I'm driving into the theatre because I'm in a production of uh, Assassins, which is a Stephen Sondheim musical about people who've tried to kill American presidents. Very timely production. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, and I'm, I'm sort of. Different. I'm doing a lot more sort of theatre and, and that sort of thing here at the moment. Um, and as far as the reunion goes, um, I mean, I've, I've been back to England a couple of times and I always catch up with um, various people that I see and, and, uh, and members of the crew as well. Our uh, director of photography um, was out here just a couple of months ago, actually, and we caught up um, and had dinner and so on. But uh, I think a, a you know a, a proper reunion of uh, of the whole the whole company would just be absolutely sensational. I think it's a bit overdue, really. Mm. Twenty years, of course, it's been. Um, could, before you go, could we have one more Linda for for our listeners? <laughs> you mean the Linda Block? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Haven't missed a touch. Thank you very much for talking to us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks, Ash. Cheers. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye. There you go, then. The. Lewis Moore Rodriguez, the Harchester legend, talking to us there. He doesn't sound like he does on the TV show, but he gave us a linder anyway. What a legend. Um, we were just talking in between that. I was talking to Simon about Lewis Moore Rodriguez. And when did you first realise that he wasn't as Latin or Spanish or Argentinian? Uh, whilst I was, uh, well, let's put it bluntly, whilst I was smashed and uh, <laughs> I, was watching, uh, I was watching Resident Evil, someone put it on whilst I was at uni. And uh, yeah, it, there he is. He pops up in that for a, for a few seconds so uh, yeah that was sort of how I noticed and somebody goes rewind it back rewind it back that's the guy <laughs> from Dream Team so yeah that was uh, that was how we ended up uh, finding out and yeah the illusion was shattered right there and then it's so disappointing it is but what a, what a great character and he was obviously a main star of that second series so he came in as Harchester United's big money signing and then had an affair with uh, the, the wife of the chairman as we've mentioned uh, Linda Block and as he's already said Alinda and I can't watch Coronation Street when uh, Alison King is in it annoys the hell out of my wife that every time she enters a scene even now I still go Alinda and she says, uh, if we're she... talking about annoying wives I, I, I do uh, whenever I see anyone from Dream Team on there I, I, I end up either singing the theme tune and doing the, the oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Oh, I do the uh, the bit at the end where it goes dream team, yeah. and uh, and she's I just get the I get the sideways death yeah. eyes, so you, yeah. you know what they are. Yeah, exactly. I think my wife thinks it's because I quite fancied her, which you know back in the day I definitely did. But it's actually sad enough that I just love the fact that she was in Dream Team, and I want to say Linda all the time. So it's probably sadder than she thinks. But yeah, either way, it, it annoys my wife. So she was a central character. He was a central. That was whole running through series two. Um, we had the love triangle between Sean Hocknell, Dean Hocknell, and now his new wife, 
who Sean had an affair with. Then he was meant to marry a girl called Misha, and then there was this kind of sexual harassment case against Luis and Rodriguez, all in a season at Hartford United, of course. And the crescendo to that series, though, and this is probably what it's most famous for, especially in the first sort of few seasons, and probably overall, it's probably one of the most shocking endings. Shocking in that it's so bad, it's brilliant, and it would never ever happen in a million years. But Jerry Block finds out that his wife is having an affair with Luis and Rodriguez, hires a hitman. <laughs> To shoot him, which is fine, and there's a stretch anyway. We're used to soaps. There's a soap every day, so we, we're used to these crazy storylines. But to take him out at the FA Cup final at Wembley, what are your guys' memories of this you. one? It's a quiet... It's, there's not much going on. It's a quiet place, the <laughs> FA Cup final. It's not like it's full of cameras or anything, or anybody would know what was going on. It seems like a perfectly reasonable plan to me. That was the cliffhanger, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a cliffhanger of season two, and uh, the secu- I don't know what the security were doing because you know I can't even get into Wembley now. I can't breathe without trying someone checking my bags. But it's yeah, diff- it was a different world. It was a different world. Ash. Different world. I can, I can tell you what it was. The security were recording the trophy room at Wembley. <laughs> yeah, <we're doing laughs> something going on. Videos. Yeah. Just in case Sean Hockdor, Dean Hockdor made an appearance. But yeah, so there's a what a little quirk again. Again, this is from Andrew's notes. Apparently, the end of series two, there's only one shot. But when the series three starts and we find out what happens, there's two shots. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was one thing I was going to say. I remember it because it was the, uh, it was the. Oh, we're changing the uh, the way this is going to go. We've kept you on a, a knife edge for for the summer, and then this is how it's going to go. But and after remember, all of that, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say. I think Sky did like a repeat of the last episode just before the next series began. So uh, the continuity was a bit more obvious when they put them side by side like that. Because I think they was, just launched was... Sky Two at the time, and that that was, they sort of showed one on one channel and then moved you across to the other channel. Mm. Mm. And it wasn't even it wasn't even any of them that it was John Black who had nothing yeah. to do with anything. Yeah, the poor, you know, the, the, captain the, the veteran, the captain, the man who'd never played in a cup final, never played in the Premier League before. Yeah, he was on the wrong end. I think she there was two shots. I think she got hit in the shoulder, or was it Luis got hit in the shoulder? I think Luis got hit in the shoulder. Luis, um, Linda sort of. Got hurt in the melee, but yeah, the one shot dead was poor old John Black. Never did anything. Just a horrible lifting way the to couple. Yeah, exactly. Pr- proudest moment of his life. Bang. <laughs> lifting lifting the FA Cup for Harchester United. Bang. Taken out. Horrible moment to go. He wasn't the first. The one thing that I loved in that that series was uh, the the way they tried to uh, angle it round the crowds at Wembley when they were obviously filming uh, where the hitman was supposed to be to make sure that you saw that there was. There was uh, there was there was obviously nobody in the stadium, but they were angling it round it with the camera angles just to to try and make it look like it was full. And there was probably about ten people in the crowd. I remember just watching that and thinking that uh, it was a bit obvious at the time, but even more so now when I watched it back uh, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, it was uh, quite interestingly done though. Yeah, it's surprising they didn't. I remember when Saturday comes, the film with Sean Bean, that the end scene is filmed during the halftime break of a Sheffield United game, so they got all the crowd there. So it's, I don't know why Sky didn't try. Maybe they couldn't get the, the days or the, or the rights to do it. Because I know I, I read an interview with uh, Terry Kiley, who plays Carl Fletcher, and said they did it before some sort of charity game. So there was some sort of crowd there, but not the, obviously, what an FA Cup final crowd would be. Yeah. Um, and like, like it was in, in when Saturday comes. So, yeah, that's... I mean, John Black dying, that's how the series started. Then within weeks, they got rid of, like, three of their main characters in a UEFA Cup plane crash basically yeah. when... bus crash bus crash no oh, there was there was a bus crash and a plane crash in the same <laughs> oh, season wasn't there? yeah exactly well, the plane crash Sorry. definitely came first because that's when sean hocknell um leon who was a, a central character in the first series one of the youth team players had a lot of problems shared ended up flat sharing with connor the the irish guy who we mentioned and then julie who for all my love for linda block julie was the one one of the canteen girls um julie and kelly but the the brunette julie she was nice i think she was in eastenders as well another one this was a route into eastenders dream team um, i'm but, gonna have to go and look this up yeah i can't i haven't got a real name in front of me excuse the bad research on that but yeah she was uh yeah she was one of my faves but kelly was a uh, much more the famous one we'll talk about her in a second because she did the cut final song um which we didn't quite cover quickly there um but she uh she went out with fletch she was kind of fletch's kind of well she thought he was the girlfriend fletch was kind of playing her in that kind of player role that he was um, so yeah and she went on to do the, one of my favourite episodes was the cup final episode until when they did the cup final song which is basically the Dream Team theme tune 
underlined going, ooh, it was going to be United. I put it on Twitter. And the players couldn't get the melody. And then Kelly came in, the cafeteria girl who happened to be hanging around. She could sing like no one else could sing. Like She'd been on the X Factor all her life or whatever it was in them days. And uh, she sang the song, which was a brilliant cut final song. Something that's missing from 2017. There's something I bring back, cut final songs. So, yeah, do you cup remember the cut final song? song? My favourite cup final song. Now, so do you remember the cup final? I know what your cup final song is. Oh, it's a terrible song. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible, that. So do you remember Did we the mention this? Song? Sorry, I know we're going off. We're going off. We're going. We mentioned this the other day, didn't we? Which there's one? a there's a man blacked up in the in the Middlesbrough yeah, FA Cup final. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did on one of our random text affairs. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. There's a man. There's a man blacked up. It's not good. He thinks he's Emerson. The fact is, he's walked around London all day like that. It still makes me a bit sick. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe it's in there. It's like, oh the, god, whose idea was that? Yeah. Even we in 1997, that was a bit much. Yeah. We actually talked about this the last time I was on, oh, so I don't know what that says about me. But... <laughs> Usually ends up with cut final song. So do you remember any of this harsh United cut final song at all? Do you know what? It had actually gone completely out of my memory. <laughs> and uh, But I was doing a deep dive into YouTube the other day, and uh, I actually happened to uh, see that scene, that that scene where uh, yeah the girls came forward and sort of showed the guys how to do it. So... Um, but no, I, in terms of the actual series, I had completely like blocked it from my memory. Maybe, maybe for uh, for good reason. But I can't, you know, it was. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's part of every FA Cup yeah, final journey during the nineties. Everyone has to have one. Yeah, no, that should be the way. It definitely should be. Um, a couple of little more things from Series Three because we're going into the two thousands now. But there are big moments, and I think this one is always remembered because it caught national press attention. Hodge United signed Didier Baptiste who was a central defender uh, from, I think it was in the French League. But somehow, newspaper reports in the UK, and this is very true, go on Google and find it out, this was in the Sunday papers that Liverpool were trying to sign Didier Baptiste, this fictional <laughs> character. So some journo who wasn't very good at his job, lazy journalism, hashtag lazy journalism, got this story, and somehow Didier Baptiste, he wasn't even a real player, he was from Dream Team, was going to go to Liverpool. I think they could bloody well do with him now, saying that any sort of defender might he couldn't help. Be, he couldn't be any worse than what they've got at the minute. Exactly, yeah. So that's one of the, the, the final, the sort of favourite things. And his storyline in that series was that he uh, his old wife came back um, he needed to pay his divorce settlement, which he had no money for, so he got in loaded debt. And the only way that he could pay this debt was a match fixing, which Joel, you already mentioned. And it came down to this last penalty in the last episode of that series, where if you and Didier miss, was taking it. Yes, he was. Was he going to score? And Prash Batani, who we mentioned already, he was blackmailing him as well. It all fallen on his shoulders. And uh, I think Lewis Mogrigas scored another goal in that game anyway to, to make to make it irrelevant. But at that point, the cliffhanger was Didier Baptiste's penalty miss because he needed the money. So again, another eventful season in Series 3 of uh, a dream team as well. I mean, this was also the series Ray Wyatt made his first appearance. I think he went on to be in Holby, Ray Wyatt, Scouse guy. Yes, he did. Um, not Bray it just Wyatt. makes me laugh that he's called Ray Wyatt. Yeah, not you didn't, see any, you, did, you didn't see any fireflies or anything there, did you? <laughs> or Sister Abigail, no. Yeah, Thank God, God didn't see that last night. No, exactly. And, and I've never been so glad for somebody to get meningitis. <laughs> I'm going to use that later. Um, and then Gordon, <laughs> Gordon Gallagher, who was the fat Scottish manager they had for a while. Um, he was who, in El Dorado. And also EastEnders again, because I hated him in EastEnders, because I remember him as the cop who was in charge of the Tiffany Mitchell uh, investigation and it just all, yeah, all I remember saying was, I remember it was you wasn't it Mr Mitchell and he was like no you got it wrong rubbish sorry to everyone in Scotland there I just butchered your accent but yeah so that was series three so that was kind of I mean guys what have I not missed what have I not said from the for the first three series of Dream Team uh, Simon coming to you first well, the one thing that stands out for me is uh, sort of uh, Frank Patcham. He was uh, yeah. sort of a mainstay throughout, and uh, yeah, he was he was fairly pivotal in in most of the series. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with a bit of uh, bit of shouting from Frank Patcham. I think he was someone from old school, wasn't he? Especially like those youth team as well when days used to go through the YTS stuff. He was, but he turned out to be also the shoulder to cry on as well. Um, so yeah. There's, um, there's a fantastic history somebody's written up online. I, I had a look uh, earlier on before we started talking. Somebody's literally written up the entire uh, Dream uh, Dream Team sort of Harchester United fictional history with a pre and post war uh, element to it and uh, dating back to the 1800s. And uh, yeah, I, I, just why you were saying about the sort of old school, he, that was just 
that's the sort of thing that um, the the series does have is obviously diehard fans that's still around what twenty years on. So uh, it's not it can't be doing too bad. It's not been on the air for ten years. So yeah, I'll tell you what else they did as well is they did um, I think it was like three hour long specials called Dream Team Eighty. Yeah, I was just about to mention it. Yeah. Uh, where they went back and they told you, like, they created all this backstory of everybody and what was going on for these early years in, like, the 1980s when there were, you know, things were going a bit wrong at Archester United, which I thought was quite a sort of interesting thing. We, we You see it sort of quite a lot in films with prequels and, and such like, but you don't necessarily, you're not going to see it with a soap opera because our major soaps have been there for years and years and years. Yeah. And I think they did it with Fools and Horses as well. They went back in there and did Rock and Chips and yeah. things. But it's not something you particularly see, and I sort of thought that was quite a nice little idea, you know, and they sort of camped it up as they do with everything else and made it a bit sort of Dallasy, if it can be Dallasy, you, you know, set in uh, the Midlands, but uh, sorry, Midlands people, we're going around the houses today, aren't we slagging people off? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, sorry everyone who's got offended. Yeah, I thought, that was quite a, I thought that was quite a nice, a nice little touch, a nice little spin-off. No, it was good. I remember that. I didn't watch that as closely, maybe because it was a bit 80s at the time and I was fully engrossed. Well, you were, just, you were just bang up to date, weren't you? Yeah, you I, was, I, was, I, was on, I was on point at that point. But yeah, I do rem- mm. I remember seeing it and I'd love to. The thing is, this is the thing as well. They can't repeat it, Sky. They've lost the rights to certain areas of the footage <coughs> that, that was shown or that we mentioned earlier. They used to digitally change um, and all those old graphics and things like that, which is, I don't know how, seeing it's their own rights, but it's the reason why it's never been repeated um, for since it's it's finished in 2007. Um, it's never been put on DVD or any sort of streaming service. And I'm, I'd love to sit, like you can watch a few episodes here and there on YouTube and stuff. Or I'd happily sit and watch a box set of Dream Team, and I'd really like, but it, they, they're just not allowed to do it, and it's such a shame. That's rubbish news. You've ruined my day now. <laughs> Although somebody, as I mentioned in the intro on Twitter, has got all 10 seasons on DVD, which he copied from back in the day. So I am going to hit him up with a few DMs. I'm going to slide into his DMs. And, uh, sexy. And ask, yep, sexy. And ask him for some Dream Team, because I, I, need, I need it back in my life. I need the Dragon's Lair. I need Harchester. I need Fletch. <laughs> He needs to share it. I mean, you can't just be sat there in your bedroom no. on your own singing Dream Team theme tunes. You know, it's pretty sad if you do, you know. Share the love. Share the love. Share, share the love. He's even made um, menus. I mean, come on. That is dead. Like me. you mentioned, Simon. Well, that dedication. is absolute dedication. Yeah, absolute dedication. 419 episodes, though. I mean, they were half hour at first, but then they went to an hour. Yeah. So that's a lot of time you've got to devote to it. I work from home. It could just be sat on the desktop. It's fine. You right. don't need it. Yeah, that works. You don't need a lot of attention, in fairness, to Dream Team, as much as I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it was pretty simple viewing but we loved um, it once we're going around the houses slagging people off uh, what a great intro that is to, <laughs> to the next thing I was going to bring up which is uh, uh, obviously for me the one thing that stands out just before he went to Hollyoaks is uh, Gary Lucy was in Dream Team for he a was. short time yes. as well and I, I always remember that was uh, was one thing that got the, the girls who I used to hang around with got them Watching some of it uh, was was Gary Lucy, and then obviously <laughs> he went into Dream to he went into Hollyoaks, and and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, he's probably one of their you know other than Alison King though, probably one of their big success stories, Gary Lucy. So yeah, fair play. Scott Lucas was also someone he did quite well. He was in the fourth series, um, and he went he did a really bad rom com. I say bad; it's in my DVD collection. I blame the wife, but it's called Prince and Me with Julia Stiles. So I thought he was going to break Hollywood, but he didn't. I did. I bought it because he was in Dream team honest but he's somebody else that uh yeah that came out of the show and also alexander as well he was in dream team and went on to be the eastenders curtis alexander his name was in uh, dream team um he, he i think is he still in eastenders he was for a little while i don't know his character name because i don't watch eastenders anymore um but he was another one uh that went on to to do stuff as well so yeah i think i mean i think we covered everyone there's a few names that andrew mentioned here but they are a bit later in the sort of 2000s stevie shaw viv wright casper rose liam davenport um, bit later in the series, but yeah, for, for the mid '90s, it was essential viewing. It kind of the prelude to Footballers' Wives as well. That was, do you, you guys remember that one? I never really watched that as much, but that was yeah, kind I wasn't of into that. yeah, that was kind of next, wasn't it? That also, Chardonnay think, and all that business. Uh, that also didn't that have Gary Lucy in that. That as definitely well, yes, was in so that. That's yeah. the, the connection. Yeah, that bring the connection there. So yeah, don't watch that. Dream Team was much better. Um, so yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed that. That's our sort of look back. At Dream Team from the 1990s, um, from 97 to 99, going into 2000. Hopefully, we've covered literally everything we can remember 
from Dream Team. I mean, the kit is something we haven't really said. I mean, I've got a Hearts United shirt here sitting in my office that I got. Which from one have you got? Is it the Lecoq Sportif or is it the Pawnee? Or is it oh, the... no, no. It's the from the first two seasons. So the one with the collar, the polo collar, Lecoq Sportif, Dream Inc. as the sponsor. The the first badge, the proper badge, they sort of modernised it halfway through the, the run. But yeah, the first badge looks a bit like the Coventry badge. Not, yeah, that one. That's That's the one I've got. I know which one you mean. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, like you say, Si, there's still a big fandom out there and the kits still go online for, for quite a lot on eBay and stuff. So if you do want yourself a Harsh United kit, although you used to see them in the back of Match and Shoot as well, which is a nice little thing that somebody talked about us on Twitter. But thank you very much, guys. I mean, I think we've covered it all there. This was kind of like a mini episode looking back at something to celebrate their anniversary. We'll be back next time uh, with, uh, with more themes. I'm going to put that poll on Twitter to kind of, guide guys where we're going to go for the next sort of few shows uh, let me know if you want us to do 90 as well if you want us to sort of step into the next decade um but before we go simon where can they find you on the social media if they want to talk dream team or anything else i'm at simon needle on twitter talking all sorts of nonsense mainly football wrestling and music amongst other things that's that's all we need yeah you're lucky so you've got simon needle i actually looked at who's got ash rose and they haven't tweeted since like 2010 and I'm just like, well, I, get rid of your handle then. Can I have it? I was Shake very sad. Somebody then. told me all about Twitter in the early days. So I signed up and then did nothing promptly for the next year or so. So man. I was lucky at the time. Yeah, you're clever. Joel, and you've got a great handle as well. Yours is different. Go on, where can people find you talking yeah, about Yeah, uh, I am at Joel Baby. <laughs> Herc, J-O-E-L-B-A-B-Y-H-E-R-C. It's because I used to have a magazine called Baby Hercules back in the day, so it's just stuck from there. So, yeah, if you want to come and say hello, it's been very George Michael heavy. It's been, well, the documentary last week, I can understand that, yeah. Yeah, um, so and I went, out and got, I went out and got Listen Without Prejudice on Saturday, the new version of. So it's all been very George Michael heavy. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to mourn about Middlesbrough Football Club and... Uh, the man that's in charge at the minute and uh, yeah and then it's wrestling and music and, and football cat. and the cat yeah the cat a lot yeah that's yeah. more that's more instagram isn't it yeah very much the cat on instagram and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm you know just doing the proper instagram cliches really of cats <laughs> and food yes. so yeah and 90s photos you put a lot of 90 photos on there in the moment which i love i put i put a couple up in that from the fa cup final. Yeah. Where I'm incredibly drunk. Uh, <laughs> and a great indie <laughs> haircut, yeah. Yeah, I've got a really big indie haircut. My mate's got the kit that we never won in on. Lovely kit. Uh, my friend Emma. Yeah, it's. I'm just really pissed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I seem sobered up in that match, I'll tell you that for nothing. Yeah, well, go back um, in the archive, listen to Joel's memories of that match. But for me, I'm Ash Rose. You can get me at Ash Rose with a UK on the end because I can't get over the proper handle, both on Instagram and on Twitter. And until next time, keep it 90s. 